Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Another version says he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. When Christ came to earth and ministered among us, calling men and women to himself in eternal salvation, we need to understand that his mission and his efforts were in every way full and complete and able to accomplish all that he intended. Nothing was left to chance or to happenstance. Nothing, not even the smallest of concerns or considerations was missed or forgotten. And the redemption that he wrought for us in his death, his burial, and his resurrection was fully sufficient to redeem all men and women, both of that day and in all of time's past, present, and future. And while it can be said in these words of, of verses 1 through 6 that we've been studying here recently, that we who have received his blessed gift of salvation also have a part that we must play because we truly do have to work out this salvation that he has worked into our souls. The truth is, he has also accomplished even that for us. And we're told so each time that we see reference to this one special word, very unassuming but very powerful word, grace. Grace, both the truth of it and the application that God makes of it to our personal lives is extraordinary beyond, beyond all measure. It's a concept and a provision that our ordinary minds will never fully comprehend. It's length, it's breadth, it's height, it's depth, it's very intimate and all-loving nature. Grace. Now, though we find ourselves sometimes using that word freely in our common conversation regarding one another or even perhaps regarding our own selves, I want to conclude that we probably should not use that word very often. It truly should probably almost always belong to the nature and the character of God alone. Now here after telling us that as his beloved children and members of his body, there are going to be expectations back from us, especially in this matter of unity, he quickly then reminds us that he also has provided everything that we need to accomplish that. We find those words of assurance in First Peter chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter one. There we read about where it's His divine power to us as believers that gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. It is already ours. He's telling us there. It is already yours and mine. It already resides within our soul in the presence of the Holy Spirit if we have received Him as our Savior. And all we need do then is allow his blessed grace to then freely flow through us. Then all of life becomes different for us. And that's why you and I should be looking as if we have changed 
from that creature that we were before our salvation. Everything becomes different. We are a new creature, we are told. That natural wretchedness that once dominated our soul begins to change and and we begin to take on new and different beliefs and, and behaviors. Life changes for us. Listen to these words, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine life and listen, and escape the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. Our own evil desires and those all around us that would seek to to influence us, corrupt us. It goes on to say in verse 5 of 2 Peter 1, For this reason then, and these words are similar to the ones over in Ephesians chapter 4, For this reason, make every effort then to add to your faith goodness, and then to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance and perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in clear and very assuring words of promise, God is affirming to to us that we are not expected to find our own means of being the people of God that he wants us to be. We don't have to go on a journey to seek God's will for us. Too many people seem to think that it's somewhere out there, and it's not. When we receive Christ as our Savior, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, he puts this divine power that he speaks about here, this enabling divine power that enables us to reach on and to do all of these things to add to our knowledge and to our goodness and to our the kind of love that we have been showing to those around us for that to become the kind of love that he loves us with. He has already given that to us. You, each one of you, have said that you have professed that you have Christ as your Savior. You have this within you. I have this within me. We are without excuse. And so as we read these words in in Ephesians 4 that call us to this unity that we've been speaking about over the past two or three weeks within the body of Christ, we need to have no concerns about whether or not we can do it. We have all that we need within us. He says there in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace, and there's that word again, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now note those words. Verse 7 again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, this word grace, such a simple word, 
But at the same time, it has such a profound and a widely versed meaning. Here grace speaks specifically about very special gifts, free gifts, unmerited, undeserved gifts, gifts like the one that gained us our salvation. You recall there in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 where he says, For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, and not a result of work so that no one can boast. Now in those words, God uses the word grace in such a plain manner. But then he says, perhaps I should explain it even more to you. And he goes on to say, the meaning of this word is that the gift of your salvation is a free gift from God himself. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with any trying to become a Christian on your part. It is a free gift from God. And then from that verse, he goes on into these other gifts. And he says, I'm going to tell you about the next things that I'm going to ask of you. Yes, now you're saved. Now I want to enable you to do the next things. Those next things that are involved in the working out of this salvation. Jesus is saying that I have worked into you. And yes, there will be some efforts, sometimes very strong efforts that will be required of you and me. But even in that effort, the ability to actually carry it out is enabled through a gift of grace. He says that to us when he tells us, you can do all things. And we can say back to him, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's in Philippians 4, verse 13. And in one of my favorite lines, in one of my favorite songs, refrains, grace flows like a mighty river. And it does. It does. And nothing in all creation can withstand the mighty power of God's grace. Except if we somehow put up a logjam within our own personality. We seem to be the only ones that can uh, at least somewhat delay God's grace. But thanks be to God, if you and I say, no, I want to, and, and this is a word that I haven't quite come to understand the full meaning of it, but a pastor in Jackson, David Jett, uses the word, release the power of the Holy Spirit in us. You know, we all hold down the power. We suppress the power of the Holy Spirit in ourselves. And we only do small measure of what we would otherwise be able to do. But if we will simply say back to the Lord, Yea, Lord, I want to release this power of your Holy Spirit that flows with this grace through me, then nothing, nothing in all creation can withstand the mighty power of grace. It's that all-powerful word that God spoke about in, in Isaiah 55. It's the word of his mouth. Let me read that for you. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The mighty flowing power of God's grace through us because of what Christ has done in us. Praise be to God. Now, it's painfully obvious to me, especially in my own life, but it seems that very few Christians, believing Christians, comprehend what God has done and wants to do through us. 
Yes, we read these words of assurance and hope and promise. And for a moment we rejoice and we say, yes, yes, Lord. But then we get up and we walk out of here. Or we get up from reading our Bible or from praying. And we get about our daily activities. And we work then as if it was all by our own efforts. Some things we do because they're easier. Other things we say, well, no, I can't do them because they're too hard. And none of that should be. We can do all things through Christ to strengthen us. That is part of his grace. And he's saying to us, the words that I left with the disciples, lo, I am with you always. They're always true. He's saying to us, I am with you every moment, giving you strength and character and ability far beyond anything that you might be able to muster within yourself. So be at peace with whatever is going on in your life, the struggles. Be at peace. I am with you. As the Spirit of Christ spoke these particular words here in verses 7 and 8, he was saying to us, I know you personally and intimately. Recall those words I read from Isaiah 43. I know you personally. I know you by name. I know you intimately. And I know the plans that I have for you, Bill, Sharon, Stephen, Jean, and on and on. I know the plans I have for you. I know you by name. And I will give you the exact gifts that you will need. I know what your character and your personality will need in order to do all these many things that I'm going to ask of you. Folks, listen. Just as a doctor must be equipped in order to properly treat our health care needs, and just as a, an electrician will need to be equipped to be able to, to do electrical work, and on and on, so also must you and I be equipped to carry forward with all these spiritual tasks that God will ask us to do today and tomorrow and each of the other days. And because each of us is different and we each have a different calling that he spoke about there in earlier in this chapter, God's gifts need always to be especially tailored to each of us for each of our callings. Now I want us to grasp this. If we're truly saved, then it is sure and certain that you, that I, absolutely do have a specific calling from God. And while we may go ahead and muddle through the remainder of our life without getting truly engaged in God's calling for us, we still do nonetheless have this calling that's placed upon our heart. And also, just as sure and certain as our calling, so also do we have this special equipping that we'll need to have to carry out our calling. God always gives us both sides of his gift of grace, both the calling and the equipping. And because of that, as I said a moment ago, we truly are without excuse. Listen to these words from verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. May I re-say the words that I said a moment ago, that yes, each of us is different. 
with different personalities and different abilities. And we each have different callings. And because of that, God's gifts are always uniquely tailored to each of us. Just recall one of the parables, the one of the parable of the talent. Jesus said, to one, the master gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. And to another, he gave one. And listen to these words. To each according to his ability. Plain words that we ought to be able to understand. And in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4, we read, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now may I say these words in simple terms. There's a favorite expression that's used to explain the presence of our ordinary human abilities, our talents. That expression is common graces. And each of us comes into this life with certain of these common graces, abilities and talents that are especially designed around our personality and our intelligence. Some of us are office workers. Some of us work outside at some vocation. Some are leaders. Some are followers. And these abilities and talents are all gifts from God to enable us to be able to live, to take care of ourselves and our families. And those abilities and talents are irrespective, listen, are irrespective of whether or not we even believe in the God who gave them to us. They are given both to the just and to the unjust, just as rain falls on the just and the unjust. But listen, may we be very, very clear in our understanding about these special spiritual gifts that we will be talking about here today and then over the next week or two. These are not the same as those gifts of common grace. These are special and unique, very uncommon gifts. And they are only distributed, listen, they are only distributed to those who have the Spirit of Christ residing within their souls through salvation. Beginning in verse 11, we'll begin to see some of those very special spiritual gifts that God gives to men and women. The Lord willing, we'll begin to study those next week. But before we do that, I want us to study and understand these next verses. Beginning in verse 8 again. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. When Christ died there on the cross, he accomplished a very special victory. One that is beyond all that we might comprehend. He took captivity. That captivity that once so so strongly held each of us captive and he forever loosened its grip and he set us free. The words given here are intended as, as this vivid picture of a conquering hero leading captives in a victorious parade. 
a public procession, a public display for all to see that the enemy is now no longer a threat or a danger. The enemy has been vanquished. The captivity that once held us so firmly in bondage and slavery to the world, the flesh, and the devil has been completely defeated in us. And it's being put on public display as a shame to all of the enemies of God. Those words are in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. That's what these verses are speaking about here in verses 8 and 9 again. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, taking captivity captive. There's so much to know from these words. But I want to address just one of the truths that they convey before we close here. They speak of the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And all of those are required efforts on the part of Christ for him to be able to redeem us. In his death, he paid the full penalty, the entire debt that our sin had built up against us. And those were many. Now I would invite you to read Romans chapter 6 because it has this excellent detailed explanation of how we've been set free from that bondage. That when we received Christ as our Savior, that we were completely freed from all of that bondage. And he led that captivity captive. Now implied also in these words is the wretched penalty that was required of him to bear as he descended and took our punishment upon himself there. He did everything that was required and that was why he was then able to ascend and to take us with him into his kingdom. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now thanks be to God for Christ and this gracious gift. You and I now truly are freed from this bondage. But you and I have to go ahead and accept that. We really have to be without excuse. We have to affirm back to God that, yea, Lord, I do know that I have been freed from this bondage and that now you have given me these precious gifts in order that I might get about all the things that you require of me during this day and every day in front of me. We're going to sing in just a moment, Hallelujah, what a Savior. But folks, think about this. That's what took place. That's what took place. You and I were wretched and lost in our sins. He came down and he took upon himself our sins. But then he descended into the lower parts of this earth. And whatever occurred during that time, we don't know. But he did all that was was required. And then he ascended back into heaven. And we are following in his train. We are the freed captives. Praise be to God. And again, hallelujah, what a Savior. May I close with the words again of Isaiah 43. He says to us, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, you shall not be overflowed. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. 
nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray.